Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com Hello and welcome to Saturday's edition of the Cosmic Creating Show. Uh, my name is Jan Shaw, known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at thesuccessalchemist.net, thewebalchemist.net, on Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, and on Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw. Today is the 12th of March, 2022, and the title of today's show is Ukraine Democrat Collusion, License to Steal, and 84% increase in excess deaths. So I'm going to start with some information about the Ukraine, which is not directly about the current conflict, but does give you some background into why there's this push to support Ukraine against Russia. So this is a Gateway Pundit article. It was published yesterday. The title is Sperry, Ukraine worked with Democrats against Trump in 2016 to stop Putin. The bet backfired badly. And it's by Paul Sperry from Real Clear Investigations. Six years ago, before Russia's full-scale invasion of their country, the Ukrainians bet that a Hillary Clinton presidency would offer better protection from Russian President Vladimir Putin, even though he had invaded Crimea during the Obama-Biden administration, whose Russian policies Clinton vowed to continue. Working with both the Obama administration and the Clinton campaign, Ukrainian government officials intervened in the 2016 race to help Clinton and hurt Donald Trump in a sweeping and systematic foreign influence operation that's been largely ignored by the press. The improper, if not illegal, operation was run chiefly out of the Ukrainian embassy in Washington, where officials worked hand-in-glove with a Ukrainian-American activist and Clinton campaign operative to attack the Trump campaign. The Obama White House was also deeply involved in an effort to groom their own favoured leader in Ukraine and then work with his government to dig up dirt on and even investigate their political rival. Ukrainian and Democratic operatives also huddled with American journalists to spread damaging information on Trump and his advisers, including allegations of illicit Russian-tied payments that, though later proved false, forced the resignation of his campaign manager, Paul Manafort. The embassy actually weighed a plan to get Congress to investigate Manafort and Trump and stage hearings in the run-up to the election. As it worked behind the scenes to undermine Trump, Ukraine also tried to kneecap him publicly. Ukraine's ambassador took the extraordinary step of attacking Trump in an op-ed article published in The Hill, an influential U.S. capital newspaper, while other top, top Ukrainian officials slammed the GOP candidate on social media. At first glance, it was a bad bet as Trump upset Clinton. But by the end of his first year in office, Trump had su supplied Ukrainians what the Obama administration refused to give them, tank-busting javelin missiles and other lethal weapons to defend themselves against Russian incursions. Putin never invaded on Trump's watch. Instead, he launched an all-out invasion during another Democratic administration, one now led by President Biden, Barack Obama's former vice president, whose Secretary of State last year alarmed Putin by testifying we support Ukraine's membership in NATO. Biden boasted he'd go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Putin, but that didn't happen as the autocrat amassed tanks along Ukraine's border in response to the NATO overtures. The Ukrainian mischief is part of Special Counsel John Durham's broader inquiry, now a full-blown criminal investigation with grand jury indictments into efforts to falsely target Trump as a Kremlin conspirator in 2016 and beyond. 
Sources say Durham has interviewed several Ukrainians, but it's not likely the public will find out exactly what he's learnt about the extent of Ukraine's meddling in the election until he releases his final report, which sources say could be several months away. In the meantime, a comprehensive account of documented Ukrainian collusion, including efforts to assist the FBI in its 2016 probe of Manafort, is pieced together here for the first time. It draws from an archive of previously unreported records generated from a secret Federal Election Commission investigation of the Democratic National Committee that includes never-before-reviewed sworn affidavits, depositions, contracts, emails, text messages, legal findings and other documents from the case. Real Clear Investigations also examined diplomatic call transcripts, White House visitor logs, lobbying disclosure forms, congressional reports and closed-door congressional testimony, as well as information revealed by Ukrainian and Democratic officials in social media postings, podcasts and books. 2014 Prelude to Collusion The coordination between Ukrainian and Democratic officials can be traced back at least to January 2014. It was then that when top Obama diplomats, many of whom now hold top posts in the Biden administration, began engineering regime change in Kiev, eventually installing a Ukrainian leader they could control. On January 27th, US Ambassador to Ukraine, Jeffrey Pyatt, phoned Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Newland at her home in Washington to discuss picking opposition leaders to check the power of Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych, whom they believed was too cosy with Putin. We've got to do something to make it stick together, Payat said, of a planned coalition government, adding that they needed somebody with an international personality to come out here and help to midwife this thing. Newland responded that Biden's security adviser, Jake Sullivan, had just told her that the vice president, who was acting as Obama's point man in Ukraine, would give his blessing to the deal. Biden's willing, she said, but they agreed they had to move fast and bypass the European Union. F the EU, Newland told the ambassador, according to a leaked transcript of their call. Newland's role in the political manoeuvring was not limited to phone calls. She travelled to Kiev and helped organise street demonstrations against Yanukovych, even handing out sandwiches to protesters. In effect, Obama officials greased a revolution. Within months, Yanukovych was exiled and replaced by Petro Poroshenko, who would later do Biden's bidding, including firing a prosecutor investigating his son Hunter. Poroshenko would also later support Clinton's White House bid after Biden decided not to run, citing the death of his older son, Beau. The US meddling resulted in the installation of an anti-Putin government next door to Russia. A furious Putin viewed the interference as an attempted coup and soon marched into Crimea. Newland is now Biden's undersecretary of state and Sullivan serves as his national security adviser. Whispering in their ear at the time was a fiery pro-Ukraine activist and old Clinton hand, Alexandra Ali Chalupa. A daughter of Ukrainian immigrants, Chalupa informally advised the State Department and White House in early 2014. She organised multiple meetings between Ukraine experts and the National Security Council to push for Yanukovych's ouster and economic sanctions against Putin. In the NSC briefings, Chalupa also agitated against longtime attorney lobbyist Manafort, who at the time was an American consultant for Yanukovych's party of regions, which she viewed as a cat's paw of Putin. She warned that Manafort worked for Putin's interests and posed a national security threat. At the same time, Chalupa worked closely with then Vice President Biden's team, setting up conference calls with his staff and Ukrainians. Another influential advisor at the time was former British intelligence officer Christopher Steele, who provided Newland with written reports on the Ukrainian crisis and Russia that echoed Chalupa's warnings. 
Newland treated them as classified intelligence and between the spring of 2014 and early 2016, she received some 120 reports on Ukraine and Russia from Steele. So interesting how Steele keeps figuring in all this corruption. 2015, the move against Manafort commences. In April 2015, the DNC hired Chalupa as a 5000 a month consultant, according to a copy of her contract, which ran through the 2016 election cycle. Years earlier, Chalupa had worked full-time for the DNC as part of the senior leadership team advising chairwoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz. After Trump threw his hat in the ring in 2015, Chalupa grew concerned that Manafort was or would be involved with his campaign since Manafort had known Trump for decades and lived in Trump Tower. She expressed her concerns to top DNC officials and the DNC asked me to do a hit on Trump, according to a transcript of a 2019 interview on her sister's podcast. Andrea Chalupa, who describes herself as a journalist, boasted in a November 2016 tweet, My sister led Trump stroke Russia research at DNC. Chalupa began encouraging journalists both in America and Ukraine to dig into Manafort's dealings in Ukraine and expose his alleged Russian connections. She fed unsubstantiated rumours, tips and leads to the Washington Post and New York Times, as well as CNN, speaking to reporters on background so a DNC operative wouldn't be sourced. I spent many, many hours working with reporters on background, directing them to contacts and sources and giving them information, Chalupa said. But no reporter worked closer with her than Yahoo News correspondent Michael Isikoff. He even accompanied her to the Ukrainian embassy, where they brainstormed attacks on Manafort and Trump, according to FEC case files. Chalupa was also sounding alarm bells in the White House. In November 2015, for example, she set up a White House meeting between a Ukrainian delegation, including Ukraine Ambassador Valerie Charlie and NSC advisers, among them Eric Charamella, a young CIA analyst on loan to the White House, who later would play a significant role as anonymous whistleblower in Trump's first impeachment. In addition to Putin's aggression, that a group discussed the alleged security threat from Manafort. Chalupa was back in the White House in December. All told, she would visit the Obama White House at least 27 times, Secret Service logs show, including attending at least one event with the president in 2016. And there's a, an image with Eric Charamella across from Ukrainians in a June 2015 meeting at the White House. Flanked by Biden security adviser Michael Carpenter and Charamella's NSC colleague Liz Zentos. January 2016, high-level meetings with Ukrainians in the White House. On January 12, 2016, almost a month before the first GOP primary, Chalupa told top DNC official Lindsay Reynolds she was seeing strong indications that Putin was trying to steal the 2016 election for Trump. Emails also show that she promised to lead an effort to expose Manafort, whom Trump would not officially hire as his campaign chairman until May, and link him and Trump to the Russian government. That same day, Chalupa visited the White House. A week later, Obama officials gathered with Ukrainian officials travelling from Kiev in the White House for a series of senior-level meetings to, among other things, discuss reviving a long-closed investigation into payments to American consultants working for the Party of Regions, according to Senate documents. The FBI had investigated Manafort in 2014, but no charges resulted. One of the attendees, Ukrainian embassy political officer Andriy Telizenko, recalled Justice Department officials asking investigators with Ukraine's National Anti-Corruption Bureau, or NABU, if they could help find fresh evidence of party payments to such US figures. Three years later, Democrats would impeach Trump for allegedly asking Ukraine to dig up dirt on a political rival, Joe Biden. 
The Obama administration's enforcement agencies leaned on their Ukrainian counterparts to investigate Manafort shifting resources from an investigation of a corrupt Ukrainian energy oligarch who paid Biden's son hundreds of thousands of dollars through his gas company Burisma. Obama's NSC hosted Ukrainian officials and told them to stop investigating Hunter Biden and start investigating Paul Manafort, said a former senior NSC official who has seen notes and emails generated from the meetings and spoke on the condition of anonymity. Suddenly, the FBI reopened its Manafort investigation. In January 2016, the the FBI initiated a money laundering and tax evasion investigation of Manafort, predicated on his activities as a political consultant to members of the Ukrainian government and Ukrainian politicians, according to a report by the Justice Department's watchdog. The White House summit with Ukrainian officials ran for three days, ending on January 21st, according to a copy of the agenda stamped with the Justice Department logo. It was organised and hosted by Charamella and his colleague Liz Zentos from the NSC. Other US officials included justice prosecutors and FBI agents, as well as State Department diplomats. The Ukrainian delegation included Artem Sitnik, the head of NABU and other Ukrainian prosecutors. Charamella was a CIA detailee to the White House occupying the NSC's Ukraine desk in 2015 and 2016. In that role, Charamella met face-to-face with top Ukrainian officials and provided policy advice to Biden through the then-Vice President's security advisor, Michael Carpenter. He also worked with Newland and Chalupa. Charamella was carried over to the Trump White House. As Real Clear Investigations first reported, he would later anonymously blow the whistle on Trump asking Ukraine's new president, Volodymyr Zelensky, to help get to the bottom of Ukrainian meddling in the 2016 election, a phone call that triggered Trump's first impeachment by a Democrat-controlled House. Sharamella's former NSC colleague, Alexander Vindman, leaked the call to him. Vindman, a Ukrainian-American, is also aligned with Chalupa. Vindman is now back in the news for his demands that the United States provide more active military support to Ukraine and his insistence that Trump shares great blame for the war. Of course, everything is Trump's fault or it's Putin's fault. February 2016, Obama White House Ukraine coordination intensifies. On February 2nd, two weeks after the White House meetings, Secret Service logs reveal that Charamella met in the White House with officials from the U.S. Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, known as FinCEN, which would later provide the FBI highly sensitive bank records on Manafort. In addition, a senior FinCEN advisor illegally leaked thousands of the confidential Manafort records to the media. On February 9th, less than a month after the White House summit, Telezenko, who worked for the Ukrainian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, met with Zentos of the NSC at a cozy sandwich shop in Washington, according to emails obtained by the Senate. It's not known what they discussed. In addition, on February 23rd, the two emailed about setting up another meeting the following day. Okay, if I bring my colleague Eric, who works on Ukraine with me, Zentos asked Telezenko, apparently referring to Charamella. In the emails, they discussed the US primary elections, among other things. Telezenko would later testify that Ambassador Chali had ordered him then to start an investigation into the Trump campaign within the embassy just on my own to find out with my contacts if there's any Russian connection that we can report back. He suspects the ambassador delivered that report to Chalupa and the DNC. Chalupa visited the White House on February 22nd, entrance records show, just days before the second meeting Telezenko had planned with Zentos. March 2016, Chalupa engineers Manafort messaging assault with Ukrainians. On March 3rd, Zentos and Telezenko planned to meet again, this time at a Washington bar called The Exchange. 
According to their email, Zentos wrote, I'll see if my colleague Eric is up for joining. The pair also met the next day at Swing's Coffee House in Washington. After the meeting, Telezenko emailed Zentos seeking a meeting with senior Obama NSC official Charlie Kupchan, an old Clinton hand who was Charamella's boss on the Russia-Ukraine desk. Kupchan is an outspoken critic of Trump who has made remarks suggesting what countries can do to stop him and protect the international institutions we've built. Zentos and Telezenko also met on March 10th, patronising the cosy coffee shop again. On March 24th, 2016, four days before the Trump campaign announced that it had hired Manafort, Chalupa met at the Ukrainian embassy with Ambassador Chali and his political counsellor, Oksana Shulyar, where they shared their concerns about Manafort, according to Politico. When news broke on March 28th that Manafort was joining the Trump campaign, Chalupa could hardly contain herself. This is huge, she texted senior DNC officials. This is everything to take out Trump. She immediately began circulating anti-Manafort memos, warning the DNC of the threat he posed of Russian influence. The next day, March 29, she briefed the DNC communications team about Manafort. They, in turn, hatched a plan to reach out to the Ukrainian embassy to get President Poroshenko to make an on-camera denouncement of Manafort and feed the footage to ABC News, where former Clinton aide George Stephanopoulos works as a top anchor. On March 30th, Chalupa fired off an email to Shuliar, her contact at the Ukrainian embassy. There is a very good chance that President Poroshenko may receive a question from the press during his visit about the recent New York Times article saying that Donald Trump hired Paul Manafort as an advisor to his campaign, and whether President Poroshenko is concerned about this, considering Trump is the likely Republican nominee, and given Paul Manafort's meddling in Ukraine over the past couple of decades, Chalupa wrote. It is important President Poroshenko is prepared to address this question should it come up in a manner that exposes Paul Manafort for the problems he continues to cause Ukraine. Within minutes of sending the email, Chalupa wrote the DNC's communications director, Louis Miranda. The ambassador has the messaging. Then she reached out to a friend in Congress, Democratic Representative Marcy Kaptur of Ohio, about holding hearings to paint Manafort as a pro-Kremlin villain. April 2016, Chalupa solicits Ukrainian dirt on Trump, his campaign and Manafort. American presidential campaigns aren't supposed to work with foreign governments to dig up dirt on their political opponents. Geneva Convention rules bar diplomats from becoming entangled in their host country's political affairs, particularly elections. There are also federal laws banning foreign nationals from engaging in operations to influence or interfere with US political and electoral processes. In 2018, Special Counsel Robert Mueller indicted 13 Russian nationals on charges of conspiring to defraud the US government for that purpose. But just weeks after Manafort was hired by the Trump campaign, the Ukrainian embassy appeared to be working with the Clinton campaign to torpedo him and the campaign. Emails reveal that Chalupa and Shuliar, a top aide to Ambassador Chali, agreed to meet for coffee on April 7, 2016 at Café Leopold, a restaurant near the Ukrainian embassy in Washington. Chalupa, Chalupa sorry, had paid a visit to the White House just three days earlier. One of the purposes of the meeting, according to FEC case files, was to discuss Manafort and the danger he allegedly posed – they were joined at the cafe by Telezenko, who said he was working on a big story on Manafort and Trump with the, with the Wall Street Journal. In a sworn 2019 deposition taken by the FEC, Telezenko alleged that Chalupa solicited dirt on Trump, Manafort and the Trump campaign during the meeting. Telezenko also testified that Chalupa told him that her goal was basically to use this information and have a committee hearing under Marcy Kaptur, Congresswoman from Ohio, in Congress in September and take him off the elections. 
Telezenko later approached Ambassador Chali about the DNC representatives' overtures, and he responded, yes, and I know that this is happening. You should work with her. After speaking with Chali, Telezenko claims that he went back to Shuliar, who instructed him to help Chalupa. I went to Oksana and said, like, what are we doing? He testified, and she told me, you have to work with Chalupa, and any information you have, you give it to me, I'll give it to her, then we'll pass it on later to anybody else we are coordinating with. Less than a week later, on April 13th, Telezenko met again with White House official Zentos. Email records reveal. Telezenko said he resigned the next month because of concerns regarding his embassy's work with Chalupa and the Clinton team. In a sworn account of the meeting, Chalupa acknowledged discussing Manafort and the national security problem he allegedly presented, but denied asking the embassy for help researching him. She allowed that she could have mentioned the congressional investigation that I had talked to Marcy Capture, but maintained she couldn't recall trying to enlist the embassy in the effort. Shuliar, however, clearly recalls that Chalupa sought the embassy's help warning the public about Manafort, including pitching stories to the press and lobbying Congress, according to a 2020 written statement to the FEC. An idea floated by Alexandra Chalupa was that we approach a co-chair of the Congressional Ukraine Caucus to initiate a congressional hearing on Paul Manafort, Shuliar said, though she denied the embassy acted on the idea. Around the same time, two Ukrainian lawmakers, Olga Bielkova and Pavlo Ryzenenko, visited the US and met with journalists, as well as a former State Department official with close ties to Senator John McCain, David Kramer of the McCain Institute. Kramer would later leak the entire Steele dossier to the media. The meeting was arranged by Major Clinton Foundation donor Victor Pinchuk, a Ukrainian oligarch who lobbied Clinton when she was Obama's Secretary of State. Bielkova was also connected to the Clinton Foundation, having once managed a Clinton Global Initiative program for Ukrainian college students. While Clinton was at Foggy Bottom from 2009 to 2013, Ukrainians gave more money, at least $10 million, including more than $8 million, from Pinchuk, to the Clinton Foundation than any other nationality, including Saudi Arabians. Pinchuk's donation was a down payment on an astounding $29 million pledge. On April 12, 2016, Bielkova also attended a meeting with Charamella and his NSC colleague Zentos, head of the Eastern European desk, according to lobbying disclosure records. In late April, Chalupa helped organise a Ukrainian-American protest against Manafort in his Connecticut hometown. Activists shouted for Trump to fire Manafort, whom they called Putin's Trojan horse, while holding signs that read, Shame on Putin, shame on Manafort, shame on Trump, and Putin hands off the US election. Chalupa also organised social media campaigns against Manafort and Trump, including one that encouraged activists to share the Twitter hashtags hashtag Trump Putin and hashtag treasonous Trump. Also that month, Chalupa reached out to Yahoo News reporter Izzy Koff to pitch a hit piece on Manafort. She connected him with a delegation of Ukrainian journalists visiting DC. Izzy Koff would later be used by Steele to spread falsehoods from his dossier. May to June 2016, Manafort dirt spreads. In a May 3rd email, Chalupa alerted DNC communications director Louis Miranda and DNC opposition research director Lauren Dillian that there was, quote, a lot more dirt on Manafort coming down the pipe. Chalupa told them the dirt has a big Trump component and would hit in the next few weeks. It's not clear if she was referring to the notorious Black Ledger smear against Manafort, who was promoted to campaign chairman on May 19th, but a story about it was brewing at the time. On May 30th, Nellie Orr, an opposition researcher for the Clinton-retained firm Fusion GPS, emailed her husband Bruce Orr 
a top official at the Justice Department who would become a prime disseminator of the Steele dossier within the government and two federal prosecutors to alert them to an article indicating Nabu had suddenly discovered documents allegedly showing Manafort receiving illicit payments. Amid the flurry of anti-Manafort activity, Zentos met again with Telezenko on May 4th, records show, and Chalupa visited the White House for a meeting on May 13th. Chalupa paid another visit to the White House on June 14th, Secret Service logs show. On June 17th, Charamella held a White House meeting with Newland and Payat of the State Department to discuss undisclosed Ukrainian matters. In late June, the FBI signed an evidence-sharing agreement with NABU less than two months before the Ukrainian Anti-Corruption Agency released what it claimed was explosive new evidence on Manafort. July 2016, Ukrainian officials attacked Trump publicly. Chalupa continued to powwow with the Ukrainian embassy and got so cosy with officials there that they offered her a position which she declined as an, as an embedded consultant in the country's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. That same month, high-ranking Ukrainian officials openly insulted Trump on social media in an unusual departure from normal diplomacy. For instance, Ukraine Minister of Internal Affairs Arsen Avakov tweeted that Trump was a clown who was an even bigger danger to the US than terrorism. In another July post, he called Trump dangerous for Ukraine. And on Facebook, Ukrainian Prime Minister Arseniy Yatsenyuk warned that Trump had challenged the very values of the free world. After Trump upset Clinton, Avakov and other officials tried to delete their statements from their social network accounts, saying that they had been wrong and had rushed to conclusions. It was clear that they were supporting Hillary Clinton's candidacy, Ukrainian lawmaker Andrei Artemenko told Politico. They did everything from organising meetings with the Clinton team to publicly supporting her to criticising Trump. While attending the Democratic Convention in Philadelphia, Chalupa spread the scurrilous rumour that Manafort was the mastermind behind the alleged Russian hacking of the DNC and that he stole her and other Democrats' emails. She later told her sister's podcast that she had reported her conspiracy theory to the FBI, eventually sitting down and meeting with agents in September to spin her tale of supposed espionage. The Senate has asked the FBI for copies of her interview summaries, known as FD-302s. Chalupa also prepared a report for the FBI, as well as members of Congress, detailing her Russiagate conspiracy theories, which Mueller later found no evidence to support. In addition, Chalupa helped spread a false narrative that Trump removed a reference to providing arms to Kiev from the Republican platform at the party's convention earlier that month. Internal platform committee documents show the Ukraine plank could not have been weakened as claimed because the lethal weapons language had never been part of the GOP platform. The final language actually strengthened the platform by pledging direct assistance, not just to the country of Ukraine, but to its military and its struggle against Russian-backed forces. August-September 2016, the phony Manafort ledger leaks. In another attempt to influence the 2016 election, Ukrainian lawmaker Serhii Leshenko leaked to the US media what he claimed was evidence of a secret handwritten ledger showing Manafort had received millions in cash from Yanukovych's party under the table. He claimed that 22 pages of the alleged ledger, which contained line items written by hand, had mysteriously appeared in his parliament mailbox earlier that year. Leshenko would not identify the sender. A fuller copy of the same document showed up later on the doorstep of a Ukrainian intelligence official who passed it to Nabu, which shared it with FBI agents stationed in Kiev. Leshenko and Nabu officials held press conferences declaring the document was proof of Manafort corruption and demanding he be interrogated. 
The Clinton campaign seized on the story. In an August 14 statement, campaign manager Robbie Mook stated, we have learned of more troubling connections between Donald Trump's team and pro-Kremlin elements in Ukraine. He demanded Trump disclose campaign chair Paul Manafort's and all other campaign employees and advisers' ties to Russian or pro-Kremlin entities. But there was a big hole in the story. Though Manafort was a consultant to Yanukovych's party, he was paid by wire, not in cash, casting serious doubt on the ledger's authenticity. Another problem, the ledger was alleged to have been kept at party headquarters, but rioters had destroyed the building in a 2014 fire. Leshenko admitted that he had a political agenda. He told the Financial Times at the time that he went public with the ledger because a Trump presidency would change the pro-Ukrainian agenda in American foreign policy. He added that most of Ukraine's politicians are on Hillary Clinton's side. Leshenko also happened to be a source for Fusion GPS, as Nellie Orr confirmed under questioning during a 2019 closed-door house hearing, according to a declassified transcript. Fusion was a paid agent of the Clinton campaign, which gave the private opposition research firm more than a million dollars to gin up connections between Trump and Russia. Fusion hired Steele to compile a series of intelligence memos known as the dossier. As a former MI6 operative, Steele gave the allegations a sheen of credibility. FBI counterintelligence veteran Mark Woke said the dossier and the Black Ledger both appear to have originated with Fusion GPS, which laundered it through foreigners who hated Trump, Steele and Leshenko. The Ledger and the dossier are both Fusion hit jobs, Woke said. The two items shared a common origin, the Hillary campaign's Oppo research shop. In an August 2016 memo written for Fusion GPS, the demise of Trump's campaign manager, Paul Manafort, Steele claimed he had corroborated Leshenko's charges through his anonymous Kremlin sources, who turned out to be nothing more than beer buddies of his primary source collector, Igor Danchenko, a Russian immigrant with a string of arrests in the US, for public intoxication, as Real Clear Investigations first reported. Danchenko had worked for the Brookings Institution, a democratic think tank in Washington that Durham has subpoenaed in connection to its own role in Russiagate. Danchenko was indicted last year by special counsel Durham for lying about his sources, including one he completely made up, as Real Clear Investigations reported. Yanukovych had confided in Putin that he did authorise and order substantial kickback payments to Manafort, as alleged, Steele claimed in the unsubstantiated report, citing a well-placed Russian figure, with knowledge of a meeting between Putin and Yanukovych allegedly held in secret on August 15th. As a paid informant, Steele had long reported to the FBI about alleged corruption involving Yanukovych. The FBI used his Clinton-funded dossier as a basis to obtain warrants to spy on former Trump adviser Carter Page, including the false claim that Page acted as an intermediary between Russian leadership and Manafort in a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation that included sidelining Russian intervention in Ukraine as a campaign issue. Steele also falsely claimed that Page had helped draft the RNC platform statement to be more sympathetic to Russians, Russia's interests by eliminating language about providing weapons to Ukraine, according to a report by the Department of Justice's watchdog. In fact, Page was not involved in the GOP platform. The misinformation came from Danchenko's fictional source. Fusion co-founder Glenn Simpson worked closely with the New York Times on the Manafort Ledger story. In his book Crime in Progress, Simpson boasts of introducing Leshenko to the Times as a source who ended up providing the paper some of the dubious Ledger records. On August 19th, Manafort stepped down from the Trump campaign the day after the Times reported what it had been fed by the anti-Trump operatives. In effect, Ukrainian government officials tried to help Clinton and undermine Trump 
by disseminating documents implicating a top Trump aide in corruption and telling the American media they were investigating the matter. In 2018, a Ukrainian court ruled that Leshenko and Nabu Sitnik illegally interfered in the 2016 US election by publicising the Black Ledger. Among the evidence was a recording of Sitnik saying the agency released the ledger to help Clinton's campaign. I helped her, Sitnik is recorded boasting. But the damage was done. The Ukrainians, along with Chalupa and the Clinton camp, achieved their goal of undermining the Trump campaign by prompting Manafort's ouster, though they never proved he was colluding with the Russians. Neither did special counsel Muller. In fact, Muller did not use the ledger to prosecute Manafort after a key witness for the prosecution told him it was fabricated. Muller ended up dropping it like a hot potato, Walk said. Ukraine's neutrality in the election was also called into further question that September when Poroshenko met with Clinton during a stop in New York. He never met with Trump, who appeared to get the cold shoulder from the Ukrainian leader. In statements following Trump's surprise victory over Clinton in November, Ukraine's embassy has denied interfering in the election and insisted that Chalupa was acting on her own. Epilogue After Trump won the election, in spite of her efforts to sabotage him, Chalupa predicted under President Trump the Kremlin could likely invade US allies in Europe without US opposition. Not only did Russia not invade Europe under Trump, it didn't even invade Ukraine. Rather, the invasion came under Biden, whose campaign Chalupa supported, yet she continues to blame Trump. Recent tweets show a still-obsessed Chalupa has not dialed back her extremist views about Trump or Manafort, whom she believes should be prosecuted for treason. In a February 28th post on Twitter, for example, Chalupa claimed that Putin installed a puppet regime in the US with the help of Paul Manafort. The previous day, she tweeted, we had a Putin-installed Trump presidency. A day before that, she wrote, now would be a good time to release the Putin-Trump treason calls. And on February 25th, Chalupa tweeted another wild conspiracy theory. It's important to note that Putin's imperial aspirations are of a global criminal empire, as we saw when he installed Donald J. Trump president and tried to turn the U.S. into a Russian satellite state. And it ends, this Real Clear Investigations article was republished by the Gateway Pundit by permission. Now, I want to quickly share something about the current situation with Ukraine and Russia. And it's an article, again, by Gateway Pundit. This, again, was published yesterday. George Soros, United States, European Union must remove Putin and Z from power before they can destroy our civilization. A third world war will destroy our civilization unless Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping are removed from power, warns billionaire Democrat megadonor George Soros. After receiving a green light from Chinese President Xi Jinping, Russian President Vladimir Putin launched his war in Ukraine in an effort to reclaim the old Russian Empire, Soros wrote in an op-ed published by Project Syndicate on Friday. But both leaders appear to have misjudged the situation, raising the prospect of a global catastrophe unless they are removed from power, he wrote. Putin has gone literally mad, cautioned the chairman of Soros Fund Management and the Open Society Foundations. He has decided to punish Ukraine for standing up to him and he appears to be acting without any constraint. He is throwing the entire Russian army into the battle and ignoring all the rules of war, not least by indiscriminately bombing the civilian population. The Pentagon has deployed at least 12,000 troops to NATO member nations to aid in the Ukraine-Russia conflict, despite Americans overwhelmingly opposing US involvement. Joe Biden is also reportedly gearing up to deploy U.S. Border Patrol agents from their mission at the U.S.-Mexico border to send them overseas to assist those fleeing from Ukraine. In addition to deploying troops, the Biden administration has sent $350 million 
in American taxpayer dollars to aid Ukraine bringing the total security assistance the United States has committed to Ukraine over the past year to more than $1 billion. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced on February 26th. After Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th, Soros urged the US to do whatever is in their power to back Ukraine in a series of tweets. It is important that both the transatlantic alliance, the United States, Canada, the European Union and the United Kingdom, but also other nations, do whatever is in their power to support Ukraine in its time of existential threat, he wrote. And that's the end of the article. I missed a little bit out because um, I didn't want to spend too much time on it. But what it really um, identifies to me is a confirmation that Putin and Xi Jinping are both white hats and very probably working with the alliance. And of course, we know who Soros is. So, you know, if Soros supports Ukraine, we know it's the wrong side to be supporting, and especially after the um, collusion with Ukraine in, in the 2016 election that I've just reported on. It was a friend of mine on uh, Facebook who sent this to me, along with um, a comment. Now, I don't know the source of this. I'm going to read it anyway. Soros is publicly coming out and saying Z. Putin and Trump need to be stopped in order to save civilization. That's rather rich from the man who is admitted trying to destroy civilization. This is all the confirmation I need that Z, Putin and Trump are in ongoing special operations to expose and prosecute the deep state. And based on the mass panic from the deep state, it appears we are directly over the target. The Ukrainian-U.S. biolab activity is the entry point to investigating all U.S. biolab activity and discovering COVID-19 was created and released intentionally. If I am Russia, there is one super easy way to resolve this issue and force a neutral party investigation from the U.N. Agree to ceasefire if the U.N. agrees to enact, enact Articles 5 and 6 of the International Biological Convention to investigate the allegations of biological weapon production by the US. The US would be put between a rock and a hard place. If they accept, they know what the investigation will lead to, and those responsible are subject to capital punishment a la death. If they don't accept, then they are proving they have something to hide and are willing to let war continue. Obviously, the deep state do not care about innocent life and not saying Putin is a saint in all this, but these labs are creating genome-specific bioweapons designed to target and wipe out the Russian population. This is a direct threat to Russian national security and dictates the proper response from Putin to protect his people from another biological weapon of mass destruction, as if COVID-19 wasn't enough. If Russia was creating genome-specific DNA-hunting bioweapons at our border, the US military will be raining hell the likes of which the world has never seen. The ball is rolling. We are now on the offensive. Do not let up. All gas, no brakes. Now, this was just sent to me um, as I was uh, recording this show, so I wasn't planning from a timing point of view to inc include it, but I think it's very important. And interestingly... Um, the Russians have requested um, an investigation of these biolabs and apparently there was a meeting with UN, I've, I haven't got it in front of me, but obviously their security committee or something this morning. I haven't seen a report as to what has happened since then, but um, presumably I'll have that in time for Wednesday's show. So we've just had the House passing a $1.5 trillion omnibus appropriations bill. And it's another case of a 2,750-page bill that was, according to Marjorie Taylor Greene, secretly um, put out at midnight the night before the vote without informing the the house congress people um that it was there and and to be read and of course how can you read a 2750 page document in a few hours 
So um, the next thing I want to report on, which relates to this, is another Gateway Pundit article. And the title is Wayne Root. Ukraine, Russia isn't a war. It's a license to steal. Biden and Democrats are stealing your money. This was published yesterday. Um, and it's by Wayne Allen Root. I want you to think about a few things. First, based on everything we know, Ukraine is the most corrupt country on the planet. Second, think about Hunter Biden's laptop. It offered proof that Joe Biden is perhaps the most corrupt traitor in US political history. Biden is the big guy who gets a piece of every dirty deal outside the USA. And Ukraine, along with China, is the centre of his corruption. Third, think about all the liars, frauds and sellouts in the D.C. swamp. How do they get filthy rich? It's not on their $175,000 salaries. That's chump change. The D.C. politicians take a piece of every dirty deal on foreign soil govern government contracts. Foreign aid, military spending, even humanitarian aid. Think about the Clintons in Haiti after the massive earthquake. Deals on foreign soil are a license to steal, especially during the, in quotes, fog of war, thousands of miles away from home and financial oversight. Now think about the Ukraine-Russian war. Why do you think the DC politicians are lined up to give our money away to Ukraine? They couldn't care less about refugees or injured children. Our politicians are falling over themselves to give $14 billion to Ukraine because they get a cut of every dollar cent deposited into their offshore accounts. This is how politicians get rich. This is their license to steal. The more money we send, the bigger their cut. This is one of the biggest deals ever. This money will be carved up like a Halloween pumpkin, first by the Biden-Crang family, then by all the Democrat senators and congressmen who passed the bill. Then Mitch McConnell and a few rhino Republican frauds will take their cut for betraying their country. And finally, Ukraine's president, Zelensky, and his crooked politicians and business partners will siphon off their share. How big is this opportunity? The Clintons just decided to reopen their Clinton Global Initiative charity. The Clintons smell dirty money. Think about this. Democrats and rhino Republicans never came close in four years under President Trump to allotting $14 billion to build our wall to secure our own American borders while we're under relentless assault by millions of foreign invaders who are bankrupting our healthcare system, public school system and social security system all while adding trillions to our national debt. Neither Democrats nor Rhino Republicans cared one iota about our borders or our national sovereignty or the foreign invasion of our country. But with Ukraine, they made a $14 billion decision in a day. Why? Because they can't steal billions off the top inside America. Too many watchdogs and gadflies are watching. The D.C. swamp gets filthy rich through foreign aid on foreign soil in corrupt countries like Ukraine. With our own country in economic distress, see $7 per gallon gas and massive inflation, a deep recession coming and trillions already in debt, it's literally the definition of insanity to give $14 billion of taxpayer money to Ukraine. Do the American taxpayers get a vote on this? I know the big guy is happy. Biden probably takes his 10% off the top. I'm certain everyone in Congress is thrilled to get their piece of the pie, but that's only the start for the infamous D.C. swamp. Billions will go to, in quotes, humanitarian groups controlled by George Soros, who will use this windfall to fund the destruction of America. Billions will go to U.S. defense contractors who will say thank you by using 10% off the top for donations to Biden and other Democrats in Congress who pass the bill. And inside these aid packages, contract contractors are awarded no-bid contracts, no competition. How convenient for friends of Biden. Millions will be distributed to the obedient mainstream media who convince the American people to support this boondoggle by always showing images of war favourable to Ukraine. Wouldn't you think if the GOP was on our side, they'd either vote no or dramatically lower the amount? 
wouldn't you think they'd put restrictions on the money that every cent be accounted for by US government watchdogs? Wouldn't you think they'd stipulate that the Ukraine money is only approved if Congress also approves $14 billion for the wall to secure our border? Wouldn't you think they'd stipulate the money is only approved if Biden reopens drilling in the USA and restarts the Keystone Pipeline? But no one cares. They're all crooks, thieves and scam artists who go to D.C. to sell out their country for a few pieces of gold. The Ukraine-Russia war is the greatest thing to happen to politicians since 9-11 and the COVID pandemic. You know what Democrats say, never let a crisis go to waste. And it ends saying Wayne Allen Root is known as the conservative warrior. And there's a link to his show on Alex Jones's channel on BitChute. So just a couple of other quick headlines before I move on to the last topic. Um, Durham is apparently investigating the DNC hack. So it's thought that that might reveal what really happened to Seth Rich. Um, We've also got more censorship. DuckDuckGo is now starting to censor information. We all thought DuckDuckGo was the one to go to, but apparently not. It's also been compromised. Facebook is now temporarily allowing death threats against Russians. Thank you, Zuckerberg. And the White House has briefed TikTok stars on the Ukrainian invasion. You you just can't make this stuff up. It's just... um, absolutely farcical so in the last few minutes i've got left i want to share a short video that was shared on twitter it's only just over two minutes so i will be able to fit it in and it's from edward dowd who is equity investment executive former blackrock portfolio manager and he's talking on the subject of an 84 percent increase in excess deaths Listen to what he has to say. This is the CDC's own data um, that they aggregate into um, all ages. Uh, The bottom line is my uh, insurance industry expert, former sell-side Wall Street analyst, went into the CDC data. We were looking for other things, but what we found was pretty shocking. He took the data, and it, it took some time and effort. He did a lot of work. He broke it down by age, and he created baselines for each age group to come up with excess mortality. And the money chart is really chart four, which shows that the millennial age group, 25 to 44, experienced an 84% increase in excess mortality into the fall. It's the um, worst ever excess mortality, I think, in the history. Um, Just to give you an idea, when you look at chart four, you see when mandates and boosters hit the acceleration into the fall, and then um, it reaccelerated into uh, the end of the year. The drop-off in that data you see there is reporting issues. It takes time for millennial age uh, deaths to be reported because they're usually not hospital deaths. So um, that data is going to be updated and probably shows a continued uh, disturbing trend. So just to put some numbers on this, um, in the fall, uh, starting in the summer into the fall with the mandates and the boosters, um, there were 61,000 excess millennial deaths. Basically, millennials experienced a Vietnam War in, in the second half of 2021. Okay? 58,000 people died in the Vietnam War, uh, U.S. Uh, troops. So this generation just experienced a Vietnam War. And I think this is the smoking gun that the vaccines are causing excess mortality in all age groups. And uh, it's no coincidence that uh, Michelle Walensky refuses to answer Senator Ron Johnson's letters. They're hiding. Fauci's gone. She's gone. They're hiding. So I'm going to put a, a word out there. Uh, and it's, it's a word that's old, but it needs to be reintroduced in the conversation. This is what we call democide, death by government. So the government, through the mandates, has killed people. So there you have it. And we've known this with all these um, adverse effects from the vaccines, if you can call them that, that are grossly underreported in the VAERS database. But that really does put it into context when you compare it with the number of casualties in the Vietnam War. So I feel very sorry for all the people I see reporting problems on Twitter 
of, um, you know, catastrophic health issues since they've been given this um, toxic bioweapon. So that's all I have time for today. I hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll join me for my Wednesday update. And just as a quick reminder, find me at thesuccessalchemist.net, thewebalchemist.net and poweredmanifestation.com. And thank you to Nancy for producing and stay well, be safe and bye for now. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality, a production of CosmicReality.com.